0: One of the things that I, I love about podcast is that you don't necessarily have a, an aroma or a smell, but there's become a template in a sense, right? Either you're a documentary-style podcast or you're a conversational podcast like this one, or it's just pure storytelling. And I think one of the things that has really accelerated with the digital era is podcasts to me or like radio was once upon a time. People tune in and they listen.
1: podcast junkies episode 296 so close so close to 300 welcome back i'm your host harry Turan. in case you didn't know that already maybe you didn't because you're new to the show if you are welcome 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 maybe you came because you heard of the show from sam Seti and the episode we had last week where we talked about all things podland related podcast related river radio related wine importing business related Sam is a great guy. He's an award-winning radio presenter, and he joined us last week to talk about all the things that are going on in his world. He's so busy, he's so smart, and he's got a really great entrepreneurial mind. So really enjoy any I get a chance to talk shop with Sam. We had a great conversation about his tech journey, his transition to angel investing, and all things podcasting, and he's just a hoot. So make sure you check that out, Sam Sethi295. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed. An enhanced feature which allows four podcaster-approved voice presets, which will bring out the best in any voice. You can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button and record phone calls, high quality music, or any audio from your device seamlessly. You can record to a camera, directly to its memory card. It's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer, and three amazing packages of software, Hindenburg Lite, three months of Squadcast Pro plus video, and six months of Acast Influencer. What an amazing package. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Donna Laughlin. She's the host of Before It Happened, and she joins us to talk about the insatiable need for human-to-human connection, manifesting what you want in life, and her desire to tell stories that aren't being told. The topics range from flying planes and driving race cars to her journalism career, and the fascinating conversations she's been able to have on her show. I'm really making a conscious effort to connect deeper with my guests and just ask some more personal questions and just see where the conversation takes us, and I'm really happy at where they're going and... For the ones that are recorded and in the can already, excited to share those with you in future episodes as we get close to 300. If you are enjoying this episode and if you've never left a rating or a review, well, today is the day. Head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast podcastjunkies. I love, love, love reading these out on future episodes. If you are delving into the world of value for value, head on over to newpodcastapps.com. If your podcast player that you're listening to this show on right now does not support boostograms, boosting, and sending associates to your host, then maybe you should give those a try. newpodcastapps.com. If you have any questions about how to get that set up, I'm doing my best to figure this out on the fly. I listen to podcasting 2.0 with Dave Jones and Adam Curry on a regular basis, but you can always send me a note, harry, at podcastjunkies.com. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Let's get into this conversation with Donna Laughlin. So Donna Laughlin, president of LMGPR and host of the Before It Happened podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies.
0: Thank you so much having me.
1: Where are you calling in, dialing in from?
0: (laughs) I am a pin drop smack in the middle of Silicon Valley, which is known as the Land of Heart's Delight as well. I hadn't heard that. When it was agriculture, that was the name. Oh, that's right. And then we take this really fertile land and we put concrete on it, and then we create products called apple.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How long have you been there?
0: I'm a native Californian, and I I grew up in the area – Portola Valley. And then I went to UC Berkeley. So I kind of stayed in the, the region. And then I went east and went to Chicago, New York, London, as a news reporter, that was kind of my tour of duty. And then I came back out to the valley. It summoned me back as a reporter. And then I ended up in the tech sector, which is kind of the primary economic power here. And uh, I've you know been here for Quite a while now since the, the 90s and the dot-com bubble was really taking taking off and then formed my PR agency 20 years ago. So as much as I tried to get away, I ended up coming back.
1: <laughs> what do you think it is that pulled you back?
0: You know, there's so much uh, opportunity in terms of continuous innovation and there's just this cyclone of talent. And I say cyclone, meaning that, you know, people are kind of a little bit transient if you look at the city of san francisco itself and the historically you know from the 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 gold rush and the people kind of coming in and leaving and then the shipping you know era when people were kind of coming in and out the same thing with you know in the 60s and people were coming in and out. in the 90s we had another way which was the innovation and tech and i think the elastication from the silicon valley which is where you know a lot of the companies started the, the hewlett packards and the You know, the defense companies and that elastised all the way up, you know, to San Francisco. So I think there's just this continuous flow of new talent and creativity that's coming in both on the business side and the developer side, and just these, you know, bright minded people that think and, and solving problems. And so that's, I'm one of those discovery curiosity people. I like to know how things work. And so I think that's what's really, you know, kept me here in the valley as much as it, as I'm on a plane again. I have four trips this month alone, and I'm like, I should just be that reporter again.
1: <laughs> Can you trace back that that innate sense of curiosity? Is that something that you had as a child?
0: Absolutely. My father owned a publishing company. And because I was constantly around the editorial journalism side, my uncles were the journalists. My father was the the paper and printer guy that, you know, made the the publications uh, go out. And we owned a, a host. There were more than 40 community papers that basically were all the regional papers for the to the valley, and so our competition was the Pulitzer Prize-winning papers of, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle and the Mercury News, and and those types of papers, even all all the way for, as far down as you know Santa Barbara. Uh, eventually, eventually, uh, Rupert Murdoch, bought, uh, you know, Murdoch bought the 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 enterprise, so to speak. But I would go out with pen and paper at age ten with my uncles to news report, and so that curiosity factor was there. But I also hung up my father on the weekends. He was a, a, a private pilot and loved tinkering things. And so I was flying illegally by the time I was 12. And, <laughs> and and my joke is I could drive a tractor, I could fly a plane before I actually drove a car. And so that how things work, you know, was always something that, that I was around. I, I kind of call it my popular mechanics, popular science era and uh, being one of four girls, you know, I was the sidekick. I wasn't a tomboy, but I definitely was, you know, into those types of mechanical trains, planes, automobiles, any of those types of things that my father was into.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was born in 1970, so definitely i familiar with popular mechanics and that era of just like tinkering and even the Radio Shack kits back in the day. Right, <laughs> so I loved like, Radio
0: Shack. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit nerdy, but...
1: <laughs> my first computer, uh, 10... Is, it's either a Tandy 1000 or the Texas Instruments. I can't remember. It was around the same era.
0: A Tandy. We used to call it the Eye Tandy. That was, <laughs> was kind of a bit of an eye candy.
1: Yeah. It was interesting.
0: I had a, one of the first Apple Lisas yeah. in the newsroom. Wow. And they gave it to me because I actually was a little bit of a troublemaker. I was. We were using typewriters and word processors still. And I found an article about the Apple Lisa, and I tore it out and I took it to the managing editor and I think we need to be automated. And network was, you know, was still a kind of a new thing and the, nobody was really on the internet yet, you know, so it's kind of how fast it went. And so they, they got me one and they said, okay, but it was kind of a dumb terminal because literally it was connected <laughs> to anything. Yeah. And then we ended up being connected to a Columbia University internet Okay. and Chicago. And so we had a little bit of a connection. But I would was able to write stories and file them. And then we had multiple computers and we had multiple emails. It's kind of funny because now we're always on connected with our mobile devices. And But I felt that, you know, that was just, that was a, a pivot in the newsroom. And now you walk into a newsroom where you look at something like a Bloomberg, you know, where you have terminals and that are... Almost, I'm going to say self dictating writing, but there's a, it's everything is just so automated and on. And the, you know, the the pigtailed 10 year old with the pencil and and paper going out, you know, those jobs are gone. They're very nostalgic. It's almost like going to a movie theater these days. It's nostalgic as well.
1: I want to. Be remiss if I didn't mention what seems to be a thread of a sense of adventure in you. I, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you're Skip Barber Tracing.
0: <laughs> I am. I'm
1: mean, Racing uh, Academy.
0: <laughs> I like, this is one of my jokes. I like slow cooking, but I like fast cars and I like fast planes. So, every, you know, I cook from scratch. I don't want any drive through. But when it comes to riding, flying, anything with transportation, two wheels, four wheels, you know, winks. Yeah, I did. My father actually had me go to Laguna Seca, which is now called WeatherTech, for my driver's training. Most fathers would just have you put you in, an, in a pre a, a DMV-approved course. Sure. And he said, you know what, Rocky, if you're going to learn to drive, you're going to learn to drive safely. So I went uh, to Laguna Seca, and then I went to Skip Harbor and a couple other schools. I drive very pedestrian on the road, but I think it is a skill that... Has become really valuable because I I work a lot in transportation and I have a lot of automotive and transportation clients. So I work with electric motorcycles and electric scooters. I work with you know aviation, electric tractor, um, a lot of mobility and transportation companies. And so that firsthand street knowledge becomes really you know very valuable in those conversations.
1: What was your biggest takeaway, or how did your driving improve as a result of the time at Skip Barber?
0: Very situationally aware. The way I was taught is that pretend you're in a a fighter, you're a fighter pilot in a jet, and you need to be situationally aware of everything around you, not just what's in front of you, behind you, but there's a left and there's a right. And when you fly a plane, there's no rearview mirror. I always tell people there's no (laughs) rearview mirror. Everything you just, (laughs) everything is forward. There's no back and there's no reverse. So you apply that same. Kind of foresight, and I. This is what I'm fascinated about technology today. If you look at all the sensory detection that's in, you know, a car like a Tesla or a company I work with, Damon Motorcycles, they have all the sensory detection. So situational awareness is really valuable for safety, for information, and just for you know pure I think enjoyment as well. Is that when you're moving at 200 some miles per hour, you you need to be aware of your surroundings.
1: Do you drive a stick shift?
0: Oh, I can't. I still, yeah.
1: Okay, I do. <laughs> My partner uh, only likes getting cars that are stick shifts, and, and there's fewer and fewer of those available. Oh, really? Just yeah, she just loves the feeling of it, the, the control. In certain cities, it's, it's not
0: too it. handy. I mean, if you're living in you know, a hilly city like San Francisco, yeah. or if you're living in you know deep snow, you know Midwest, I don't really yes. recommend it. But. You know, if in California, one of my favorite things to do is either fly down the coast or, you know, drive down the coast and there, it, you know, it's fun.
1: Yeah, driving on Route 1 on the coast, is it's a really beautiful experience.
0: You know, we were talking about the newsroom, and one of the things that I think is so exciting is you go back to the Mystique. One of the reasons I loved my childhood, and, and it, I think it was very magical for me, is that— the smell of, of ink, printer's ink, is something that a lot of people will never smell because they've only been true. in the digital era. And to me, it's very bouquet and very perfume-like when you actually – you go into a barbershop, it has a very unique feeling and it a mystique. Does. You go into a print shop or a newspaper or a magazine, and it had a very unique instinct. So one of the things that I, I love about podcast is that – it has, there's like, you don't necessarily have a, a, an aroma or a smell, but there's become a template in a sense, right? Either your documentary style podcast or your conversational podcast like this one, or it's just pure storytelling. And I think one of the things that has really, you know, accelerated with the digital era was... Podcast to me or like radio was once upon a time, the importance of radio and audio. And audio is so important to us in everything that we do, whether you're a race car driver, which I've not, but I've raced, or you're flying a plane, or if you're just on an airplane listening, you know, to a podcast, you people tune in and they listen. People in conversations oftentimes don't listen, they respond. And so if we all learn to listen better. Then our sensories and everything we do, whether it's driving a car, a five-speed, an automatic, whatever, flying a drone, I always tell people, look up. No one looks up anymore. They look down at their device, not situationally aware, right? And I think that's one of the things that I personally like with the evolution of going from where we once were to the whole digital era is that it's like video games for kids. I always tell parents fight your battles. Phones are always a battle with parents. I I know because I have two kids and it was always a battle, the phone time and what they're going to do. But when you play video games, to me, it's about dexterity. It's about collaboration. It can be, there's a lot of, there's uh, shooter games. I think I have, you know, I'm on the fence of that because there's a lot of controversial content there that I'm thinking, I don't think a 10 year old should have access to that. But when it comes to some of the the nimble and the dexterity and the kind of the collaboration and creativity and those are things that can be applied, when, you know, in a useful manner. And I think that's one of the things that the digital era has has given us an opportunity to make choices. Not all podcasts are one size fits all, right? Yeah. And so there are certain top level podcasters that I'm just going. I don't think I'm that audience, right? And but I I tune in and listen because sometimes I find I learn something. And so constant stream of learning is what I think digital content is about.
1: There is something intimate about podcasting that I think I was drawn to. It's just, if if you're focused, if you've got your headphones on and depending where you are, you can either be doing it in passing as you're doing other tasks, but just the intimacy of just hearing the, the conversation when it's done well between two people and you feel like you're being drawn into their world and you feel like you're understanding a little bit of their story. And Again, if it's a topic or a person that you're interested in, you're resonating with them and, and you're feeling like, you know, part of their world. And it, I think that there's there's some aspect of it, and this has happened to me in the past, where I feel like a, it makes me a better person <laughs> and it connects me on a human to human level with other people when it's, done, when it's done right.
0: Do you think, you know, We it is augmented reality. Do you think podcasting is like augmented consciousness?
1: I think so. I think so because if you think about the what connects us all as humans is our our stories. And that's the focus on, on this show. Like early on I had scripts like a, I mean not scripts but just questions like everyone else had. I had my like list of questions and I realized like <laughs> I would get through them and and it just I wasn't getting anything out of the conversation and then I had one that was only like I had a 30 minute window and I had just had to toss it and just be like talk like a normal person does. (laughs) And I just realized that that's that's more important. It's not easy, it's something that I had to learn over time, just how to be just more curious, just be a good listener, be comfortable with silence, be comfortable with asking open-ended questions and, and waiting for an answer, not trying to rush to fill the space. But I mean, I always say, if you go into a bar or restaurant, there's 50 people in the bar, there's 50 stories there. You just have to like have the patience, uh, to listen to someone, you know, and, and also gain their trust because there's some aspect to this where people feel like, you know, do I want to tell this person? Am I I mean, we're, on, we're going to be talking for 45 minutes. What's the purpose of me trying to go deep with this person when I just got to jump onto the next one? So.
0: I totally agree. I'm a little bit naughty. I like to go to restaurants <laughs> and sit at the counter. Like if they yeah. have a counter, I kind of seek out who has a counter. And I like to plant myself in a position, you know, in between people so that I can there cuz cuz if if you're flying single, which is something that you know I do this as part of my curiosity, person to the left, a person to the right. Maybe there's an empty seat and the seat rotates a few times and then the <laughs> wait staff, you're going to get great stories, right? And you know, food is a great equalizer when it comes to conversation, and no matter where I am in the world, I mean it's one of the, my favorite things to do is to go to the farmers' market if I can't find a counter because that's where you see the people and the culture and and the engagement. But sometimes people tell you the darnest thing though they're like, okay, we just met. I'm really surprised you sharing <laughs> that with me <laughs> and, yeah. and and my question could have been you know how's the you know how's the kimchi or you know how was the you know, how is the, you know, whatever they're having for the evening. And they, but sometimes people tell you things and I'm like, Wait. but I, I've kind of had that as a news reporter. It was one of my techniques would, would go, when I was working in Capitol Hill, I did an internship with the Washington Post. And I'd get my best stories by going to one of three bars after hours, knowing that all the political who's who would be in these certain places. If I hung out on Capitol Hill on the footsteps to try to get a story, it's a lot harder with everybody else than it was for me to go into a after 6 p.m. location when people are a little more loose and a little less guarded. Yeah. And I look like I was you know, 16 years of age when I was doing this, <laughs> this also help. Like, kid, what are you doing here? And I would get the darndest stories. I'd get like my, hit, my byline stories. And I found any time I had to go do the normal protocol, I would not get a byline story.
1: I think what that speaks to is there's this urge or desire that people have to be heard, and to and if you just give them a little bit of an opening, to your point exactly, like they'll they'll, they'll spill out <laughs> their guts and they'll share, and what that it feels like. I get the sense that a lot of that was pent up and they're like, I, I want to tell somebody this, I don't know what to tell. And then this person sits next to me and you could be asking how's the kimchi and they're just like, well, let me tell you about <laughs> the, this divorce that I'm going through. And it's just like, I don't know who to talk to and something like that. And I I think just people are starving for human to human connection.
0: Yeah, you know, I've actually had that scenario. I have introductions to clients, one of the funniest ones. I went and I, I remember I had, I had um, salmon, right? And the girl sat down next to me and she was asking me, oh, is that looks good? And she's waiting, she's waiting, waiting. She says, I think I got stood up. And so I was next thing I know, I'm giving her advice, uh, you know, or just listening to her and giving her some advice. But the person that she was waiting for was quite, you know, had a, a profile that I ended up looking up on LinkedIn. And I got some. I won't say the name because I got quite a bit of information. I said, I think this is somebody I need to work with, <laughs> and I never would have <laughs> discovered this person. And I ended up working with him for about three and a half years. Oh my so goodness what goodness. ended up being her loss was my gain, which was kind of funny. I never did tell him exactly how we how I got hit, you know, the in because he was pre funding and going through a, a whole process. But she kind of spilled the beans and uh, gave me <laughs> enough fuel to think I better get in on this one right away. So she got stood up, but I got you know elevated up.
1: How old are your kids?
0: My daughter just turned twenty, and my son is fourteen months prior to her twenty-one. But I adopted them. Okay, and they, they came from Russia with love oh, wow. at two and a half and four. And the same year I started, a year after I started my business. Wow. So call me crazy, but I thought, hey, create a business, create a family. <laughs> yeah, it's like two launches. I know how to launch companies all the time. So if I'm going to, you know. Launch family. Yeah, back-to-back launches. But I have a little bit of a joke, though. My daughter was going to save the world. She's a sociology major, and she loves working with seniors and vets and is focused on affordable and sustainable housing. So her summer will be spent doing internships in those areas. And my son is the total opposite. He looks good. He smells good. He sounds good. And he's going to save the next thirty percent discount on a designer cell, you know, the next product cell. So I got bookends; I got one of each. And you know, it's kind of like I say, it's my yin and my yang. But they, you know, it's interesting. Their generation has grown up with digital everything, right? Sure. And they listen to that on Facebook. That's for old people. even know, it's called Meta. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's for old people. <laughs> Snapchat, Instagram, you know, those are the, kind of the worlds that they live in. And my daughter listens to a lot of educational news podcasts um, as one of her forms of when she's working on doing grants and deep type of, you know, research and stuff, which kind of surprised me because I didn't know that those were the things that she would listen to. She even listens to my podcast, <laughs> which makes me <laughs> feel good. That's and, good. And my son does, does not because it's not really his, you know his exploration.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if what's happened in uh, with Russia and Ukraine has, has had any pay- impact or has affected any of the, the conversations you have at the dinner table?
0: Yeah. Well, they're both away at school, but I did have a conversation because I have clients, Ukrainian uh, clients. I have Russian clients. I have a neighbor uh, lives to the left of me is from the Ukraine and I have a neighbor to two blocks two houses down that's from Russia. So it's in my community. It's in my daily life. And I have a lot of empathy for, you know, for the whole situation. But I basically told my kids, I said, I'm going to give you one PR party line. And it is one man's ego does not define a people or its culture. And because I do want them to be proud to be for their origin and their and being, you know, from, they're from Kaliningrad, which is this little in the Baltics. They're not responsible or accountable for any of these atrocities. And, but at the same time, I wanted to be really aware. So I gave them a, literally a fortune cookie statement. And, and I said, if you need to use it, this is what you use. If you really want to understand and, and read, then I have a couple of resources that are extremely valuable that were pointed out to me by my Ukrainian clients and, and, and I have, you know, a company I work with that is running the company between two countries right now. And the people, the, the team is disparate. Some are working in bunkers. Others have had to send their kids away. I mean, it's real. I've, you know, it's, and it's unfortunate. Do you think the one, the one thing that we can all learn of, you know, is empathy and understanding? There's a deep, deep, you know, history that, that goes beyond just what's happening now. Is it acceptable? No. I'm not an expert, but, I look as a news reporter, former news reporter, and, you know, and I'm passionate about the documentary-style reporting. I do know people that are, you know, on the front lines. And I used to do what Anderson Cooper would do when he was, in you know, during the, the, the Gulf War. And I was reporting, and my joke was, ah, he has a posse with, like, you know, the whole logo and stick. I literally would be out there doing the same type of field work with my backpack and the little microphone and go out and do stories. It's a really, it's a really challenging and oftentimes unsafe job to be a reporter. So I, you know, I'm thankful I'm not doing that now. Yeah. Because there's just a lot of, but I, I was in in Russia several times, and I was in college and graduate school. I went when the the economy and everything was changing dramatically, and I was able to go there and be a reporter and see how controlled it was and. And it was managed. And there are other countries that do the same. Journalism has changed in America. And so I personally feel that one of the things that I learned that I carry into my podcasting is I want to bring an authentic story. And you mentioned, you know, that everyone has a story. I think everyone does have a story. It's how do you get to that story? And how do you get to the integrity and the genuineness of that story? Uh, there's certain things that I won't ask people. It's common sense. I don't want to be Barbara Walters and ask that one question that's going to bring and the one house awkward down. awkward question, yeah. Right? But I, I do feel that if we come from a place as a humanity, I have hope that we will realize you know, that war is not only, is not only bad for people, it's bad for the, the earth, it's bad for the planet, it's bad for sustainability, it's bad for economics. And you put all those together and you have a hot mess. And and unfortunately, egos do get in the way. And Old Book, All Quiet in the Western Front, one of the, my favorite, oh, yeah. favorite, favorite descriptions in there is when he basically says "You take all the world leaders, and he's talking about Mussolini and, and, and you know, Hitler and everybody, and take him to the Grand Canyon and let him have a piss. See, <laughs> so he could go the furthest of the biggest ego. And it's like... You know, it's the fire hydrant scenario. And I agree that that is something that it's like reading a Kurt Vonnegut book. You know, when you read a Kurt Vonnegut book, it sticks in your mind for, you know, for a long time. And that I think that's exactly what's been happening. And unfortunately, that's, you know, that's hopefully going to unravel it soon.
1: In your time as a journalist, did you ever feel like your life was threatened or did you feel like you were in harm's way?
0: Oh, yeah. I had a couple of times that. Literally, um, I didn't think I was going to make it back to my, you know, apartment. Needless to say, back to my country. Two specific ones that you know that kind of always kind of still make me a little bit prickly or tingly today. Uh, when I was in Northern Ireland and I was doing a story, I was doing a story on on culture and art, but I ended up having going to a this little little pub, and you have to be very aware, right? And then it's talking about situational awareness; you'd be very aware who you're talking to and blend in the best you can but a couple that started talking to me at the the counter where i was sitting within maybe 15 20 minutes of the conversation it was clear that he was a arms dealer british and on the other side of the the line and and it was a little startling and so i just you know kind of played it off that i was you know a yank on holiday and had family you know in ireland which i, I did not but i just kept it very gen- generic and that conversation went a little, little array, and it was a lot of information. So I ended up going, feeling I was followed for a couple of days. To be honest, when I was there, couldn't wait to get back over. And then when I got back into uh, into Dublin, I kind of shared everything I had, and they gave me a new passport. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And then the <laughs> other time that, uh, so that was interesting. And then the other time that I, I felt it was somewhat in harm, it was, I literally, I was breaking bread with Lebanese and Israeli soldiers at the friendly border. And I was doing a story on, on the the friendly border and how... The two must, us, you know, coincide and respectful learning about culture. And so I had this amazing lunch, fresh apricots and hummus and tahini and, you know, shawarma and all this amazing food and conversations. And these soldiers, both men and women, were talking about, you know, their families and how they had respect. And they both had, you know, had different points of views and different religions, but they were working the best they could in harmony. It's what you don't see in the news.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Literally towards the end of that that. You know, that lunch, there's air raids go off and the border shut down. Somebody had come over the fence illegally and I was rushed into the underground bunker and pitch dark for the next three hours. I didn't know who was in there with me. And so you literally, you don't say anything. And when I came out, I kind of knew who I was in there with, but I was, I was in a protective mode because I was an American traveling on an American passport Israeli and American forces were, you know, working very closely together. So I was most likely, you know, whisked in there very quickly with, you know, a combination of, you know, central intelligence and snipers and whatever, you know. Kind of not, you know, you signed, exactly signed up for when you went to reporter. <laughs> but those are just a couple of things. But, you know, I had an uncle, a great uncle that was in... World War II as a war correspondent. And I read his diary when I was in college and he was British. And it was really interesting to read what he wrote and his experiences and the humanity, this, the human, you know, the, his thoughts and what was happening, the integrity of what he was reporting on. And it was really about the people and going into areas and really talking and getting that authentic story about, you know, the, the homemaker you know who t- had flour to make bread because you know there were rations but she would find another means to be doing that and things that were stories about people and survival and culture and people coming together i ended up giving that diary to a professor at columbia university who used it to for it, 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 uh, for one of his his books that he wrote yeah so i think one of the things i Pride myself is, and you are talking about listening and having conversation. Is that when I asked you, you know, before we started, was that picture behind you? Because the picture behind you you, 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 which is in New York, you shared, you know, that you're from there and what that meant to you. And so I already knew something more about you just because of the picture hanging behind you. And, and that, and, and then when I was a kid, I go, go, go trick or treating, the door would open, and most kids would just say, trick or treat and run with the candy. No. I interview you. I'm like, wow, is that a Black Forest clock? You know, is that a is that a Andy Warhol painting? You know, and be <laughs> like, get the get out of here. But I this that was just, I don't know, that it was kinda of charming to me. What's behind the door?
1: Yeah, because I think uh, most people, most adults will expect, not expect a kid to, to have that sort of interest. But I, I always, the, this through line of your experiences, it's the sense of adventure, it's the sense of curiosity, of wanting to learn more. You know, we've talked about your nickname Rocky, is because of your love of rocks. <laughs> from, from, <laughs> it uh, is. I, think I heard that in, in an earlier podcast episode, and just how you you're into the adventure side of things, and then being a journalist. So, what I noticed, what I what I thought was interesting about what you talked about, I think in the trailer for the show, is your desire to tell stories not being told on the podcast. And I'm wondering, as you've, I think you've, you're getting into the the, the new season, uh, you, you talked about that. You did a recap of 2021. What were some some of the things that surprised you in in these conversations you were having on the show?
0: You know what? It's interesting because you want to be selective, right? And so you look at an array, right? and I think that, you know there's unicorns, big you know publicly traded companies, and people that are constantly like on tour and podcast, and I love to hear those stories. I thought, a, I don't have access to those people. I'm not going to necessarily pay pay premium fee, but I'm looking for the you know, like all, you know, more of the pony that the person who is actually going to be that person and eventually, or they've created, you know, they have a meaningful and thoughtful idea or movement of facilitating change and it will become the standard in the future. So that's what I really can look for when it comes to the entrepreneurship and, and the visionary. And so like this week's episode that's coming out is amazing. I can't even remember where I found him. It was an article. I'm constantly pulling the articles and things out. But he's a former aerospace engineer for Boeing, but he's a food scientist. But what I can make the parallel really quickly is that when you're flying an airplane, you need to be very, very focused. There's multiple things that you're doing. And the same when you're creating a food, in his case, a plant-based food, cheese, we love, I love cheese. I can't take cheese out of my, death. it's not going to happen. He's created a plant-based cheese because he's a vegetarian. Yeah. But the parallel between everything he knows as a pilot and the intricacy and the detail and the formula and the recipe is very similar to being a pilot. And he hadn't really thought about that. But to me, it's just natural, right? And you picked up on my my whole adventure part, which is very true. And oftentimes that's the, that what I find in that discovery and conversation. If I'm talking to somebody, you know, about blockchain, but blockchain by itself, you know, we've read a lot and heard a lot about it, might not find it interesting. But then I'm like, oh, this person's an avid sailor. And, you know, how does that actually play? Or they have a black belt, or they have something that they kind of put in their repository or their Rolodex and they didn't think about it. And making those connections of what, you know, before it happened, which is the name of the podcast, what happened before it happened that made you think that you're the chosen one, you're the one that's going to fix this problem. We're going to, you know, electrify agriculture, or we're going to, you know, make a flip the animal pet supply chain, and and take animals out of the supply chain and make it vegan. We're going to reduce the carbon footprint, you know, with, you know, two wheels, vehicles and just so all these complex ideas that i you know i'm fascinated by because like i didn't think of that and oftentimes i get the inspector gadgets where they open up their coat you remember some of the movie with andrew and uh matthew broderick and he opens up his coat and you just see all these gizmos i go to a lot of those meetings and i'm like do we need that i don't think <laughs> we need that i think i already have that i don't think i need another you know device iot device type thing yeah yeah so I think finding the next big thing, I think that's part of the discovery process. I'm fascinated. I read and watch a lot of things related to science and space. So NASA and SETI and Solve for X and those types of things and going back to popular science. But the race for space and what can be done in agriculture and transportation and medical and they, the discovery process to me is more interesting than the fact that Richard Branson and Elon Musk are going up. I'm a little insulted they didn't call me to go up because I'd really like <laughs> to go up. But uh, just this week, I I interviewed somebody who came from the creative arts and wrote a script on space, and that changed her entire career to now be leading and being the leader of a space contest for girls and getting girls more involved in space, knew nothing about it, and the, but she had access then to NASA and other types of research. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing journey. Now, one doesn't go study creative arts and drama, yeah. end up on the other side in in a space career.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I have a second show called The Vertical Farming Podcast. And it was yes. literally, I read Peter, Peter Dimont's book, Abundance, and that uh, just took me down a rabbit hole, I read Dixon Despommier's book on vertical farming. And I was like, I have an agency. We produce podcasts. And uh, I, I'm comfortable with long-form interviews. I don't have to know the topic. So let's do this. And so I interview CEOs and founders specifically because I like origin stories. I wonder how they started. So we're four seasons in, 50-plus episodes, just getting ready to kick off season five. But it's fascinating just to hear, especially as as the pandemic hit, the podcast launched, so the timing was interesting because this idea of food deserts, access to fresh food, you know- labor Food shortages. Labor issues, supply chain issues, so it's been fun. I went to my first vertical farming conference in Vegas last month, so it's it's interesting just- I was there. Indoor Ag?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I went to the World Ag Expo too.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, I might go to the one in, in New York too, so. I'm interested how, because you had the journalism background, how have you grown as a host of the podcast over the course of the, the episodes?
0: No, it's interesting because when I first thought of doing a podcast, it was because I didn't want to, I didn't have the discipline to sit down and write my book.
1: Yes, you I will that. say
0: I'm now working with a book coach and I am writing my book, but I thought, eh, we're in a pandemic. I don't want to be in my office or in my home office isolated, so- I'm going to start idea was originally just storytelling. And then I realized I have access to a lot of amazing people and not just my clients, but because most of my guests are not my clients. People often think, Oh, they're all your clients. I have a few, but not all of them. But I, I like, you know, I had a pretty long list of people I could have as guests and they kind of fell in two modes. One was the creators and the other one was the thinkers and the tinkers and I thought, wow, this is interesting that just the tech thing could get a little, you know, yeah, a little still. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to spend some brain cells on it. Then I want it to be more than that. And so my list got longer. And then I made a dream list of people that I would like to have, including one of your buddies, Jordan Harbinger. <laughs> And I reached out to Jordan and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he's like, don't, right, is basically what he said. You know, very long LinkedIn conversation. <laughs> and um, and so I started, you know, thinking about what it should be. And then I realized I couldn't do it alone. I took some of these online courses and I bought all this DIY equipment. And I'm like, uh, I don't have time. I need someone to help me do the content. I can get the guest and I can do the interviews but the editing and then creating more of a documentary style narration was gonna take some work. Yeah. So vetting out and hiring the, you know, the team, you know, to do that became a bigger undertaking than I was expected, to be honest. And I think there's you know, there's so many podcasts and and it's like my goal wasn't, oh, I gotta be you know, in the top, whatever. It was like I wanted to create a quality product. I wanted to create something that people would come back every Thursday when the new episode goes live. And so the narration part of the process was new to me. You know, I've done radio, I've done a lot uh, of broadcasts, but I've never gone to go back into the studio and do that, that part. And so I go back and I think about the first few, really uncomfortable. It was like going to your school <laughs> dance for the first time and you've never danced and like, and you're the wallflower. I was like, I don't know how to do this. So it took, you know, a little bit of schooling and, and some great coaching and I think I listen to, I go back, I always go back and listen. And some people tell me they don't listen to their podcast. I go, well, I need to listen and learn. And I'm hard on myself. I want to, every episode I want to improve and I want to get better. And I want to, and so last night I even told my daughters, oh, this week's episodes. were like, she says, mom, that's what you say about all of them. And I said, I know, but this one, I think I really nailed it. And she says <laughs> And so I think the feedback loop is really important. I read what people have to say. I read the reviews. I, you know, I I want to understand like what are people thirsty for? What they hungry for, and it's I think that feedback loop is. And I listen to other podcasts. I've listened to your podcast. I listen to Jordan's podcast. I listen to other podcasts that are just kind of geeky, sciencey things that you know that are not even in the the top you know list. But I, I kind of like snackables. I call them. I I kind of snack and learn. And I think the community, you know, talking to you, you know, like minded people. I think we all agree that it's it's a labor of love because it's just not something you do, you know, while you're walking the dog. I mean, if anyone tells <laughs> can tell me you could do a podcast walking the dog, let me know because <laughs> I have two Wirefox Terriers and they need a lot of walking.
1: <laughs> you could do something super uh, kind of feet on the street, natural sound, really raw edit. It's the Dog Walkers podcast. And it would naturally be something you would do with your earbuds. It doesn't have to be high quality. It's just you as you're walking the dogs. But I'm always curious about all these variations of podcasts. The more niche, the better. But I think... Something like that would work, and the fact that it's outdoor sounds and it just sounds like you're on your yeah. iPod would be. Maybe
0: fun. that's the next one. Well, my dogs <laughs> are named Dolce, Rose, and Bella Luna. I mean, they have stage names already.
1: Yeah, perfect. You
0: know, when I came to like creating like the art for the podcast, and you look at all the different, you know, the, the show tiles, I'm like going, okay, how do I stand out? Mine's a rocket. I was channeling Barbarilla, really. I was like, okay, if Barbarilla okay. was here on Earth and she wanted to <laughs> and she wanted to listen, you know, to like who are the most interesting people that she could listen to while she's in her rocket ship, that's what I wanted to curate. And I wanted it to not just be tech people or just scientists, but people that are actually transitioning. I mean, I have a you know, a, a master baker who was a homeless teen, restless homeless teen, and learned how to bake in the shelter and has now made a, you know, an empire in her gourmet bakery in, in Canada and has written a book and is a inspirational speaker. To me, that was just a really good story. I typically, you know, look for people that are actually really agents of change and doing something that's really facilitating and changing. But sometimes you just have such a good story. You just gotta slot it in there.
1: You're obviously a great. PR person with tons of, of decades of experience. I, I, just the tagline for the show can be uh, the podcast Barbarella would listen to. <laughs> and people would have to know that reference, obviously. So I'll make sure we get the uh, the link to the movie in there uh, as well in the show notes. <laughs>
0: yeah, Barbarella. I have a huge poster of her in my home. And yeah. it just That's is, Jane Fonda, right? Yeah, Jane Fonda. It, 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 it's yeah. totally campy, kind of futuristic. I also have a, a Ray Bradbury R is for rocket, original signed uh, book uh, art. uh, You know, that type of stuff is always, I am going to go to space. But before I do that, I need to write my book. And so the book that I'm writing, which will hopefully be done this year, is basically, if you can't hire me, you can read the book. Okay, that's good. It's basically, it's, you know, think of it as your companion to being your own, you know, PR agent. Whether you're a company and, and, and a CEO who's trying to, you know, become an authority or, an expert on something or if you're just out of college and you're trying to get that first job, which is really hard for those coming out of college right now because it's not the normal work environment, this book is going to be kind of that manifesto of like, this is how you do it. Yeah.
1: Well, make sure you let us know when that's available. I'd love to promote it and I actually get a copy and read myself. So <laughs> that'll be fun.
0: Yeah. It's like, well, and writing a book is like, I don't know, podcasting is, I don't think podcasting's easy. So if anyone's thinking of doing their own podcast, think <laughs> twice it's not but i do think you know paper hasn't gone away yet no
1: you know so something nice about the tangible feel in your hands when it's a good book yeah yeah
0: well and a lot of a lot of podcasters obviously have uh, books you know they're they're the experts and so i felt a little left behind i don't have my book yet
1: I do have it on my list. I did a, a very short one with my first 25 episodes called Around the, the Podcast Campfire, essentially kind yes. of like combined all the, the stories that I learned. And I was like, oh, I'll do it every 25 episodes. And needless to say, that didn't happen because that was way back in 2014 when I had my first round of interviews. How
0: many episodes have you done now?
1: Closing in on 300.
0: Wow. When would you sleep? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's the first show. The second show has got another 50, the Vertical Farming Podcast. Yeah? So it's uh, Yeah, it's fascinating. I just love, these are the best times for me. Like, these moments of the day when I get to have these conversations because they really light me up. And thankfully I've got a, a team that can handle all the stuff. And this is what we sh- we do, how we, the benefit for our clients, we're like, all you gotta do is record, we'll take care of everything else. And that's, uh, thankfully I've got a team to support me on that as well. So it's, I can just have focus on like my, my time with my guests. We
0: need to have a, a separate conversation about that and and tractors.
1: And tractors, oh yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I work with Carlo Mondavi and the founding team it's Mandavi Wine leg- uh, Legacy was his grandfather, yeah. and he is the chief farming officer for Monarch Tractor. So, because I'm the electrification queen, you know, like all things electric, working uh, with them to bring this tractor that basically is an autonomous smart tractor. Very cool, and so. I can actually say I've been on the vine with Carlo and we in electrifying the future. And the founder of the company is Praveen Pemetsa is brilliant. He comes from the automotive industry. So you take someone who comes from automotive and transportation and you put him with a fifth generation farmer and you bring in a Tesla former gigafactory expert and the three of them come together, you create the ultimate tractor. Hmm. So that's pretty cool, I think.
1: Yeah, we definitely need to have a follow-up. There's so many things we covered here, Donna. I know we're coming up on on time here. But uh, one last question I'd like to ask is, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: (laughs) It's like, good one. I get chastised by my son. I cannot use the word man up. And I jokingly said, I have been manning up my entire career. (laughs) So I have not to insult anybody, but the new terminology is manifest. Just keep manifesting manifest. good, good things, yeah. manifesting good things for the world, manifest good things for yourself. So I've been manifesting my my book, my podcast, and I think I'm switching that word.
1: I like it. Well, thanks to your team for manifesting this conversation because uh, we had we ran in some similar circles. So I'm glad we got to finally connect and I feel like, like we're definitely have a, a follow-up. Yeah, lots, lots of threads I wanted to pull out, and, and the title for this episode is going to be really interesting. It's probably involved planes and rocks and wine and tractors and, <laughs> <laughs> and race cars and journalism and, uh, yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, you know, so, the alphabet uh,
0: soup, alphabet soup uh, <laughs> episode.
1: Yeah, a life, interesting life well lived uh, by all means, and uh, I get the sense of you just getting started. So thank you for the time. Thank you for uh, sharing your stories. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And you gave me some new fresh ideas, so I'm excited about that.
1: <laughs> Where's the best place for folks to connect with you?
0: Oh, the Before It Happened show is on Instagram as the Before It Happened show. It's the Before It Happened online, you Apple, Spotify, all the usual suspect places you can find podcasts. And then I'm on on LinkedIn, which is a place I like to hang out looking for like-minded, uh, interesting people, <laughs> I mean, this is Donna Laughlin. And that's L-O-U-G-H-O-L-I-N. And my business is at LMGPR, which I've told my kids forever and ever over the years. It's lionmousegeorgepeterrabbit.com. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> we'll
1: make sure all those links are in the show notes. Thanks again for your time, Donna. I really appreciate it.
0: Great. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again to Don for coming on the show. Always appreciate when my guests spend an hour of their precious time sharing their stories with you, the listener. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 296. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his great collection of music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor right and their new line of vocaster gear. Check out the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at Fullcast.co about how a podcast can be beneficial for your business or brand. Tune in next week for my conversation with Kate Stillman. And if you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Racing Donna. Tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Donna at DL Michaels. D-L-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S. Thanks for all you do to support this show. And let me know if you're going to be a podcast movement in August because I am planning to be there. I will be speaking as well. I appreciate you. Talk to you next week.